Hi there. Thanks for joining us. This is Space Nuts. My name is Andrew Dunkley, your host. I hope you're well. Thanks for joining us. Coming up in this episode, uh, some fascinating stories. Uh, we've been pumping groundwater out of um, or from beneath Earth's surface for, uh, well, decades and decades, probably longer. Uh, and now it starts to look like we have caused a little bit of a change. Uh, we'll look into that. And there is a relationship, it appears, between cosmic radiation and earthquakes. Mm. We'll also be answering audience questions about Martian water, a what-if question from Ash, and where would Fred and I go if we could go anywhere, anytime, to visit our favourite places in the solar system? Well, um, that's what Nigel, uh, Neil and Aurora want to know, so we'll, uh, we'll try and answer that. And much, much more coming up on this edition of Space Nuts. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9, ignition sequence start. Space Nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space Nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. And joining us to talk about all that and whatever else pops up is Professor Fred Watson, astronomer at large. Hi, Fred. Andrew, good to see you again. You too. Hope you're well. Yeah, good enough. Thank you. All yeah. Good. Now, uh, you're doing it computer free again this week. We are. Yes, we. Uh, you're, you're sitting on my mobile phone, uh, looking quite small, but that's all right. I look even smaller, so that's probably the way it should be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I must be nice to be without a computer. We get strapped to those things. Well, I'm afraid I'm still strapped to it, but the only issue is that I can't use it for space nuts yeah. because of uh, the, uh, as you said, it's the uh, the antique uh, operating system. I think my operating system is called Diplodocus. Diplodocus or something like Diplodocus three point one. Yeah. Ah, well, you know, um, mine's relatively new. I haven't had it for a year, but uh, even from day one, it showed signs of being pretty well useless. Yeah. Uh, last week it did three updates in a week, and I thought, "What? What on earth is going going oh, on? Yeah. It's ridiculous." Yeah. yeah. Now we've got a lot uh, to talk about. Yep. So let's get stuck into it. Uh, this story about groundwater. Now you and I know groundwater very well because where I live and where you used to live, we're um, sort of above the Great Artesian Basin, which takes up a yep. vast area of continental, eastern continental Australia, from uh, Queensland right down into Victoria and South Australia. Uh, it's a massive underwater river system, if you like. And um, even around here, we have hot springs popping up here and there and everywhere, and uh, some of them have been commercialised. And, you know, uh, farmers have been taking water out of the ground for yonks, for irrigation, etc. cetera. Yeah. Uh, but it now appears that doing that has had an effect Indeed, that's right. Uh, and yeah, yeah, you're stirring my memories there, Andrew, because, um, of course, when I lived in Coonabarabran, we weren't far away from, was it Barron Junction, where there, yeah. there were hot springs that you could go and swim in? I remember doing that back in the 1980s. Yeah, Barron Junction, Moree, uh, Lightning yeah, Ridge, yeah. uh, all those places. Uh, yeah, hot springs everywhere. Uh, and, and some of them naturally pop out and bubble out of the water, but uh, a lot of, like there are hundreds and hundreds of uh, bores, uh, yeah, include, right. including Dubbo. Yeah. We, we source a lot of our domestic water here yeah. from, from the Great Artesian Basin. Yeah. yeah. When I lived in Coonabarabran, I had a 90-foot bore, which went down to the uh, reservoir of water underneath the Warrumbungle Mountains, believe it or not, wow. which contained more water than Sydney Harbour. So we Incredible. Were... Anyway, anyway. Coming back to this, um, it's a really interesting story. And um, it, what we're talking about is shifts in the position of the Earth's rotational poles um, by essentially a, a, a few meters at most. Um, and that happens naturally. Uh, so if you imagine yourself standing on the North Pole or equally the South Pole on the ice, of course, there's no marker there saying this is the exact pole there's probably a flag or something that, that, that in, in itself would move because the ice moves uh, but but basically if you think of that scenario just due to things like the ocean tide movements uh the uh, earth's core having sloshy material in it because it's liquid 
at least part of it is. Mm. Um, all of that contributes to just a change in the exact direction of the spin axis of the Earth, and it's the spin axis that defines the poles. So if you could stand on the North Pole and, and actually see or stand at the northern tip of the Earth and see the, the North Pole itself, it would wander around over actually periods of, of about a year or yeah. so. Now, um, uh, researchers look at that. They, they basically can explore that, not by standing looking at some imaginary point, but by actually astronomy helps with this. And now we've got GPS and all of those things which help us to work out where the Earth's, uh, where the Earth's pole is. Uh, and um, what's happened is that uh, the very clever people who do this stuff, they, they look at the observations. Yes, this is how the pole is wandering around. Um, they uh, also theorize where it should be because what they can do is they can work out things like ocean tides and that sort of thing and calculate what the movement of the pole should be. And they did this uh, for data over a period between 1993 and 2010. Uh, so, so fairly significant chunk of data, 17 years worth, uh, which has been published recently in the uh, Geophysical Research Letters. It's the, uh, the, the Global Geophysical Union's uh, publication. Uh, and th they tried to fit the known movement of oceans and things like that, due partly to climate change, ice, ice is melting and things of that sort. Yeah. They tried to fit that to the observed motion of the pole. And it turned out that they were something like 80 centimetres out in their calculation. Now, that doesn't sound much when you're talking about a planet uh, to not know where its pole is hmm. uh, to, to, to an accuracy of 80 centimetres. But this was a concern. Actually, it was 78.5 centimetres to be accurate. Okay. And, and what they had to do in order to correct for that is allow for what we've just been talking about, the use of groundwater. Groundwater comes out the ground, it's used for agriculture or swimming in or whatever you use it for, but eventually it finds its way into the ocean because it joins rivers when it's drained away. Uh, and in particular, they uh, were looking at uh, groundwater usage um, it was in northern India, if I remember rightly, and uh, and I think western United States or uh, western North America. Uh, I, I've got those figures in front of me, but those are the regions where the most amount of groundwater was being used. And you can imagine that because these are fairly dry areas of the planet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, North America, northwestern India, uh, at mid-latitudes. Mid and so uh, once they'd put that into the model, it fitted perfectly with the information. Bless you, Andrew. Oh, you saw uh, that, did you? <laughs> I guess what was happening. Yeah, <laughs> didn't hear it, so that's good. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, so it, it, it's clearly uh, from, from this we can deduce that uh, the motion of groundwater, the use of groundwater, is actually impacting the Earth on a global scale. Uh, it has a, an effect on the tilt of the Earth on, its, on the position of its axis. Very tiny effect, but one that we understand and, and can now, you know, we can now um, uh, allow for in the calculations. It's really quite remarkable stuff. Is it likely to continue to have an effect because we're still pumping this stuff out? Yeah, yes, that's right. So, um, you know, when the next tranche of data are examined for this kind of thing, uh, that will probably show similar effects. Uh, I don't know how often these studies are made. Uh, probably, you know, certainly in, in the world of science, there are people looking at these things all the time. Yeah. So we might hear more about this, you know, before too long that we can talk about once again on Space Notes. What if we got all the water out and it ended up in the ocean? What 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 do you think the effect might be then? So, yeah, uh, it, you can well imagine, given the resources, how much of the Earth's water is groundwater, and I, I don't know the figure for that, but it would be a significant amount compared perhaps with the amount in the oceans. Um, yeah, if you, if you dumped it all in the oceans, it, it would be bound to have a more significant effect than ever. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it, it's been long, you know, you know, you and I both know, having lived in a place that relies on groundwater, that it is it is usually regarded as a an, uh, an infinite resource. Um, 
you know, if you if you don't have water, put a board down. Yeah, she'll be right. Yeah. And uh, but uh, the danger is that you will actually drain these aquifers completely and run out of water. Mm. Yeah, we we thought for a long time that it was just a limitless supply. Yeah. Uh, we're now learning that's not the case. And for for many years, and, and I reported on this um, when I worked for the ABC, uh, particularly during the 90s and the early 2000s, that there were so many bores that had been um, created that they never turned off. They just consistently ran. Poured water. And, yeah. and now they've realized they can't let that happen. So they've been going around capping them to try and stop the water flow. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's beca- it, it became a really big problem out here. Um, but yeah, on the plus side, I live in a city of 50 odd thousand people, 40, 50,000, and we're drought proof because of groundwater. Yeah, that's amazing. We, that's we right. never can run out of water. Even in the height of the last big drought, we never had a problem with water supply because of groundwater. So it, it's really critical for life in uh, these um, sort of semi-arid zones of the, of the world. Yeah. And, and we don't get a lot of rainfall here compared to some places. We get a reasonable amount, but uh, we, we certainly do rely on groundwater uh, to, to keep our supplies up. So, uh, But it's interesting that taking it out, uh, and you're right, it ends up, because after we've used it, it ends up in the rivers or it gets evaporated off and it rains somewhere else and goes down into, into the rivers and ends up in the ocean. I mean, water exchanges around the planet all the time. It's always rotating through, through the various systems that exist. But it does sound like we're crea- creating a bit of a lopsided in this situation. Yeah. Pushing the planet over. Yeah. Here's a, here's a question just uh, in regard to the axis. If you could stand on the tip or the bottom, doesn't matter which one, of the uh, if you're right on the point of the axis uh, of the Earth, would you no- would you notice? Would would it be any different to standing out in the street here? No, huh. <laughs> um, um, it, it, uh, it this there are slight phenomena that are so slight as to be not measurable. I mean, you know, where you are and where I am actually, where at latitude, your latitude is about um, thirty two, I think south we're about 34 south here in sydney uh which is not that far from the equator and so there's a kind of centrifugal effect that makes us slightly lighter mm. uh because the earth's spinning but it is such a tiny effect that it's not anything that you would notice you you, you wouldn't uh, feel that any heavier when you were at the north pole or the south pole than you do on the equator yeah unlike other planets <laughs> yeah that's right mm. some planets uh, you certainly would yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, now, um, where can people chase that story up if they're interested? Uh, it's in, uh, actually it was in Terra Daily. Terra being the Earth, of course. T T E double R A, not rather than T T E E double R O R. Okay. Terra Daily news about planet Earth. Yeah, really interesting one. Okay. Um, this is Space Nuts. Andrew Dunkley here with Professor Fred Watson. Let's just take a short break from the program to tell you about our sponsor, NordVPN. Now, I've told you about a virtual private network before, and as a Space Nuts listener, you get extra benefits uh, just by logging on to a uh, specific URL. That's nordvpn.com slash, uh, slash Space Nuts, which I'll repeat a little later. But when you log on to that URL, uh, there's an exclusive deal uh, which NordVPN offers so that you can protect yourself from you know, scams and hackers and you know just basically uh, an added layer of uh, security for your home network or if you're out in the street using your uh, smart device on a, on a Wi-Fi system, anything like that. And one of the things I really like about NordVPN is they back their products, a 30-day money-back guarantee. So when you get in there, you'll see that it's uh, it's a system that's backed by some of the big names in business around the world, including the BBC. Click on the Get Nord VPN link, and you can see all the products and services that are on offer, and you can buy them in different levels of package. I, I just went the whole hog for a two-year plan, which gave me uh, an extra month, uh, and it really brings the price down. And so I've got the whole bundle, but you don't have to do that. You can get the, um, the the basics, what you need, the VPN, the malware protection, the tracker and ad blocker, or you can add to it the uh, password manager. Now, that's a thing I find extremely handy 
uh, all my usernames and passwords are locked away in there very securely. And when you want to log into something and you can't remember the password, it can do it for you. It's really fantastic. Uh, there's also a data breach scanner and you can uh, add on a terabyte of cloud storage, uh, which is also very handy these days with the amount of material we store online. So check it out today. Uh, all those wonderful products by our sponsor, NordVPN. NordVPN.com slash Space Nuts. And then click uh, Get NordVPN, uh, which will take you to all those uh, options. I, I, I have been using it for a while now. I, I swear by it. I think it's a fantastic product. Uh, and as, as I said, I use everything. So um, uh, you, uh, you will find it most beneficial for whatever your circumstances are. That's nordvpn.com slash spacenuts for an exclusive 30-day money-back guarantee deal with our sponsor, NordVPN. Now back to the show. Three, two, one. Space Nuts. Now to our next topic, Fred, and this one is focused on Earth as well, but uh, this, one, this one's a, a, a real surprise that cosmic radiation may in fact be having some sort of um, effect on our earthquakes. Uh, this sounds like something out of science fiction. It does, doesn't it? Actually, we should, um, we might have to rename the show um, Earth Nuts after today because uh, <laughs> two Earth stories. Yeah. But it is the, the Earth's a planet, and we learn things about the the, uh, the universe by examining the Earth. And this, as you say, is a, has been a complete surprise, yeah. uh, at least uh, to me. And um, so. What we have is um, let's let's step back. We all, we all know what earthquakes are, so probably don't have to explain those. Yeah. But cosmic rays are subatomic particles that come down to us from who knows where. It's actually the source of them is not that well understood. These are high energy subatomic particles that uh, come from outside the solar system. Uh, so they are uh, from deep space. Uh, maybe even from distant galaxies. Uh, and that flux of particles has been known, actually, for more than 100 years, that, um, that you know, p particularly high up in the atmosphere, you can detect them. Uh, when they interact with the atmosphere itself, they produce what are called secondary particles because they, they hit the, uh, the atoms of the, the atmosphere, uh, clout them, and that then causes a cascade of, of, of other less energetic particles um, and it, and it's those that we can detect with various um, uh, you know cosmic ray detectors it's not not something that is I was going to say it's not rocket science but well it probably is uh, but you know what I mean it's it's a, a standard procedure it's standard practice in cosmic ray astrophysics and there there is a whole discipline of particle astrophysics uh, so um, to cut to the chase there is a uh, a project called Credo, C-R-E-D-O, uh, which uh, I, I like as a, a, a as a as a, an acronym. It stands for Cosmic Ray Extremely Distributed Observatory, and it's actually a virtual observatory uh, that uh, essentially takes cosmic ray observations from uh, many different observatories. Usually these are at high altitude, they're on mountaintops, uh, but many different observatories around the world. Uh, and uh, it's actually initiated uh, by the Institute of Nuclear Physics of the Polish Academy of Sciences back in 2016. Uh, and it's um, essentially, uh, a, a, as I said, it's a virtual observatory, so they collect data kind of from the whole planet. Now, what they've done is they've done statistical analyses, as you'd expect with, with everything. You know, if you'd notice changes in the rate of cosmic rays, can you link that uh, to something else? <clears throat> in this case, they've linked it to earthquakes. And not just that, they've actually found a significant correlation. Um, so uh, they have apparently looked at data collected since 2005, uh, I'm, I'm from from various, uh, as I said, from various uh, 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 cosmic ray databases collected at different observatories. And what they find, and I'm going to quote this because it really succinctly describes what uh, this uh, this uh, 
phenomenon is. It comes from the press release from the Polish Academy of Sciences. It says, in each case, in each analysis for the period studied, a clear correlation emerged between changes in the intensity of secondary cosmic radiation, that's these air showers that come from the the, 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 the uh, radiation meeting the atmosphere, secondary cosmic radiation, and the summed magnitudes of all earthquakes with magnitudes greater than or equal to four. Mm-hmm. So if you if you get uh, if you add up all the earthquakes uh, with more than four or equal to four on the Richter scale, uh, and compare that with the flux of co- of cosmic rays, you get this correlation uh, that earthquakes are, are more when cosmic ray. Uh, input or flux is higher. And here's the really neat bit, Andrew, uh, and I'm quoting again from the, the press release, importantly, this correlation only becomes apparent when the cosmic ray data are shifted 15 days forward relative to the seismic data. This is good news, as it suggests the possibility of detecting upcoming earthquakes well in advance. Wow. Yeah, work that one up. This sounds like an April Fool's Day joke. <laughs> uh, let me just check. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, no, June the 15th, 2023. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, they suggest a mechanism for this. Uh, and um, unfortunately, uh, it, it's not, you know, yes, if you see an increase in, in cosmic ray flux, you can say that 15 days later, there's going to be an increase in the world's earthquakes when you add them all up but you can't pinpoint them into any one place yeah well that would be the Um, trick wouldn't it it would and that at the moment this these data just simply don't let you do that Mm. so clearly being good scientists these uh scientists have actually tried to understand why this might be and there is a clue in that uh cosmic rays um of course are affected by the earth's magnetic field uh, and the Earth's magnetic field comes from basically uh, eddy currents in the liquid core of the planet. Mm. Uh, and so if you've got sort of disturbed motions within the core of the planet, they might cause earthquakes, but also affect the magnetic field in such a way that you get this effect on the cosmic radiation. Let me um, let me quote again. It's the it's beautifully written uh, press release from uh, from the Polish Academy of Sciences, as reported here by phys.org, uh, one of our favourite websites. Um, the main idea here is the observation that eddy currents in the liquid core of our planet are responsible for generating Earth's magnetic field. Yep, that's right. This field deflects the paths of charged particles of primary cosmic radiation. Thus, if large earthquakes were associated with disturbances in the flows of matter that drive the Earth's dynamo, these disturbances would alter the magnetic field, which in turn would affect the tracks of the particles of primary cosmic radiation in a manner that depends on the dynamics of the disturbances inside the planet. As a result, ground-based detectors should see some changes in the numbers of secondary cosmic ray particles detected, and that's what they found. Okay, um, it's uh, yeah, such a such a, an unexpected and interesting result. But once again, uncovering some of the secrets of our own planet. Yeah, fascinating. So let me try and nutshell this because I'm still kind of getting trying to get my head around it. So they're they're not saying this is causing earthquakes. Uh, we there's so many different things that can cause earthquakes and that you know uh, tectonic plate movement, volcanic eruption, blah blah blah. Uh, but what they're saying is that there are changes in the magnetic field because of the eddies in the core, and that lets more cosmic radiation get in and enhances the effect of an earthquake. Is that what I'm hearing? Um, no, no, no. The, the the two are. Uh, no, you, you're right. Um, it's not the it's not the changes in the magnetic field. While they might cause the earthquakes, they they um, the, the the cosmic rays themselves don't have any an, any enhancement. It's the magnetic field that diverts the cosmic rays, so we don't see them, or we do see them, or whatever, or focuses them, basically. But that's not causing the earthquakes. No. That's just a secondary. Uh, 
uh, you know, product of the of the changes in the Earth's magnetic field. Okay. So, it, yeah. So what? So it's a. Um, so the root cause of both of these is the changes in the Earth's magnetic field. Mm. So it causes earthquakes, and it also causes a change in the cosmic ray flux. But the cosmic ray flux doesn't cause the Earth doesn't cause the earthquakes. Okay. Uh, that's the link. All right. The, there is there is another. If we've got time, Andrew, there's a, a kind of postscript to this piece, sure. which is really intriguing and feeds directly into the some of the main stock in trade of space knocks. Mm. They've also detected a periodicity in this. Um, in other words, uh, uh, you know, the, the, there's a, a, a regular change in the influx of cosmic rays and hence the uh, amount of, uh, of earthquakes that's got a similar period to the solar cycle, about 11 years. Um, so the solar cycle is uh, something we've known about for more than a couple of hundred years, where you count the number of sunspots uh, on the sun's surface, and if that's a measure of solar activity, that number changes over this 11-year period, yeah. you get maximums and minimums, which we've talked about before. <clears throat> but they they find this um uh, let me just again read from this uh, marvelous article. A major surprise is the large-scale periodicity of the co correlation, a phenomenon no one had expected. Analyses show that the correlation maximum occurs every 10 to 11 years, a period similar to the solar activity cycle. However, it doesn't co coincide at all with the maximum activity of our star. And so they're suggesting there might be other factors uh, in uh, this periodicity, and one of the possibilities is uh, uh, whether it might be something to do with dark matter. Oh, here uh, we go. The, yeah, here, here we go. As the uh, as the Earth uh, as the Earth perhaps um, you know orbits through the dark matter in the uh, in the uh, stream of uh, as a stream of dark matter particles. Uh, around our solar system and perhaps that stream itself is somehow affected by the sun giving this link between the periodicity of, of the cosmic rays and of the uh, solar cycle maybe there's some issue there that that um, is to do with some of these real mysteries uh, what are called non-classical explanations of phenomena it's definitely dark matter is non-classical since we don't know what it is. Yeah. Uh, so what a you know what an interesting piece of research uh, which might have far-reaching consequences. It might. Uh, wouldn't it be great if you could predict earthquakes? I, I saw a report some months ago now, and I can't remember the details, but they they found another indicator that could predict earthquakes. There was um, it might have been to do with the magnetic field actually. Now that I mention Possibly, it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, some other research showed sort of fluctuations in the magnetic field that that uh, suggested it was an indicator of a potential earthquake situation. This might be related to it by the sounds of things. Yeah. Here's a here's a wild uh, speculative suggestion from me. Mm. Um, you know, we think animals can sense uh, earthquakes. Are they picking up tiny vibrations from the ground? Or, given that we know some animals have quantum magnetic field detectors built in, and these are birds, um, the uh, is that uh, is is that what we're seeing here? Yeah, uh, Andrew, you, you may have lost my picture. Have you not plugged the cord into charge your phone? Forgot to plug the cord in. Hang on a bit. Dear oh dear. Oh dear. Well, this is new territory. Yes, yes. Using the phone for this. Let's see if I can. <laughs> Plug the corner. At least it warns you instead of just cutting you off. It says I've got 20% in the battery. But the, the fact that there's a warning there, that's uh, all right. Let me get rid of that. You might want to see me. There he is again. Mm. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, I suppose, Fred, we, we really um, should keep our minds open about the the cause and effect of these kinds of things. We, there's so much we don't know about the universe as a whole and the, the effects on various planets of cosmic radiation and particles and dark matter and all of these things. We we really need to probably keep a very open mind about um, yeah. how these things relate to each other. 
yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And um, clearly, these researchers have demonstrated open-mindedness. Um, the, the snag with a, a, a mind that's too open is your brains fall out uh, if, you, if your mind's completely open. Um, or you become an astrologer. Well, look, I had a, and I'm sorry, I've probably told you this tale before, but um, many years ago, I was doing a, it's probably, it might have been the International Year of Astronomy, I can't remember, it was uh, quite a long time ago. I was doing a, a talk, a public lecture in Berlin, um, which was, it's a place called Urania, which is a science center where they all speak English, which is handy. But I was doing this talk, and a gentleman in a pink suit uh, came into the talk with, and he had a kind of staff with him which he walked in a very prof- prophetic manner yeah. he had a few followers with him uh, and at the end of my talk which was about Pluto he, he said actually I come from Pluto my name is Messenger 9 uh, and I'm here to tell you that um, because of Pluto there are going to be dangerous earthquakes within the next six months and he went on about these earthquakes which he's predicting and it was quite funny because the rest of the audience were all you know there was involved laughter for quite a lot of it Uh, but he but he um uh, he he shot himself in the foot because somebody said where where are these earthquakes going to be and he said ah it will be 30 degrees west of the equator which doesn't make any sense at all so that was kind of the end of the show (laughs) and i talked to him afterwards he said actually i'm not from pluto i'm from where was he he was from edinburgh yeah no (laughs) Somewhere in South America is a really interesting guy, but he's obviously yeah had too many too many Fruit Loops for breakfast. Yes, never mind. Uh, Yeah, that would do it. Sadly, uh, because this was Germany, they'd recorded the whole uh, talk uh, on a CD, and this conversation was there at the end, so I could report it verbatim in one of my books. But nobody took a photograph, which um. I'm really sorry about because he was so imposing. This guy it was striking, man. Fascinating. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you want to read up that story about cosmic um, particles and their relationship to earthquakes, uh, phys.org, I think it is. P H Y S.org is we, where you will find it. This is Space Nuts, Andrew Dunkley and Professor Fred. Zero G, and I feel fine. Space Nuts. Okay, Fred, uh, it is time to um, hand it over to the audience and deal with some questions. We've got a whole bunch in, over 30 questions, so uh, we've got a bit to what work with, fabulous. and we're going to do them all right now, <laughs> Okay. or maybe maybe one-tenth of them. Uh, yeah. let's, um, let's start off with uh, a question from Nigel. Hi, Space Nuts around the world. Hi, Fred. Hi, Andrew. This is Nigel from Brisbane, Australia. I'm amazed at the podcast, how it reaches all around the world and people from far distant places such as Norway to South America to Africa call in with questions. Simply amazing. Anyway, my question is, um, Mars had oceans of water that evaporated into the space. Could any of that water reach to Earth? Uh, Extra questions are, could uh, water clouds form in space and if they crash into a planet like earth would they rain down okay love the show see you later Mm, a lot in that uh thanks nigel lovely to hear from you um yeah uh, we we know about the water on mars we think a lot of it's actually still there don't we under the ground we do that's right um so yeah uh, great questions from nigel there and um some of the some of the points he makes are absolutely on the money. With Mars's water, um, yes, as, as you say, we think, you know, climate change happened on Mars probably very early in Mars's history. We think for the first maybe billion years of its history, it was warm and wet. Uh, and then because the planet's not big enough to sustain the kind of tectonic activity that we've just been talking about, uh, it cooled. Uh, it, it, this magnetic field, which was never strong, uh, is more or less non-existent now. And the effect of that partly was to freeze the water. <clears throat> so uh, there is groundwater on Mars, but uh, it's um, it's uh, in the form of ice, it's permafrost. Um, but the water that was lost to space 
uh, was lost probably as the two components of water because uh, with the lack of a magnetic field, you've got, um, and, and the lack of a thick atmosphere, you've got uh, pretty high energy radiation from the sun, mm. both particles and ultraviolet. Um, and the effect of that on a water molecule is to split it into hydrogen and oxygen. And the hydrogen being the lighter stuff, that just wanders off into space. So we think a lot of the water was dissociated in that way and the, and the hydrogen headed off. And actually, um, there's a spacecraft called Marvin, uh, which uh, actually analyzes the gas emission from Mars. And it can still detect that stuff happening. There's st still oh. you know, stuff leaking into space. Uh, I, it's a long time since I've looked at the stuff coming from Marvin, but several different um, elements uh, you can find le leaching off the planet into space. So it's still happening. Fascinating. Uh, okay. The 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 idea of uh, of clouds of water in space um, it, it sort of happens. I mean, um, water is the most common two element molecule in the universe, uh, so it, it is everywhere. Mm. Uh, usually. Um, it would be in the form of a vapor, uh, and we see that in these giant molecular clouds. Uh, telescopes like ALMA, the uh, Atacama Large Millimeter Array, uh, sensitive to water, uh, the frequencies that water emits, um, but also uh, in the cold of space, it freezes. And so you get things that we call comets, which are just exactly what Nigel suggested. They're lumps of water ice, floating around in the universe. Um, and we think the comets in the Oort cloud, that spherical shell of comets around the extremities of the solar system, we think that's the, the last vestiges of the cloud of gas and dust uh, that, that formed the solar system. Mm. So, yeah, and they rained, they've obviously rained down on Earth. Um, we think that at least some of the Earth's water came from these lumps of ice uh, called comets. Yeah, but um, recent um, studies, I suppose, have suggested that... Uh, there wasn't enough, there's too much water on Earth for just comets to be responsible. So they they think when the planet formed, it gathered water in that process, which has yeah leached out to create right. our oceans. So yeah, it, it's a it's I think there's still though um, it's certainly some of the water came from comets. Yeah. It, this is all about what we've discussed before the the isotope matching uh, the the ratio of heavy water to normal water. Mm. Uh, in the, in uh, in comets, uh, some comets have a match have a ratio of heavy to normal water that matches that in the Earth's oceans, but a lot don't, and that's why there's some doubt about whether most of the oceans uh, of the Earth came from comets or whether, as you said, there's some of it is what you might call prime primordial water, yeah. water that was there right at the beginning. It's a good thing it doesn't go off. Um, now, <laughs> just to paraphrase another part of Nigel's question. Um, is it possible for us to get more water through cosmic rain? Um, uh, I, I suppose, you know, it not not uh, the water's not going to just come come down like like snow. No, uh, it would be in lumps of ice. Uh, there may be small, you know, small cometary day, debris chunks that we see breaking up in the atmosphere. Most of the stuff that hits the Earth's atmosphere is me uh, meteoritic. It's it's basically bits of asteroids, tiny dust particles. Uh, I, I guess some of that might be uh, water, but I think it's more likely. Uh, in fact, I can rule that out. I'm thinking aloud here uh, because we're within the sun's frost zone. We're in the Goldilocks zone. That's right. Uh, so uh, any water in this area will be vaporized. Yeah. Okay, so that writes that off. I think we covered everything for Nigel there. Yeah. So uh, thanks, Nigel. Great to hear from you. And uh, speaking of collisions, here's a what-if question from Ash. Hey, Fred and Andrew. Ash from Brisbane here. Got a bit of a what-if question since I know you guys like them so much. Um, budding science fiction writer, and I was just toying around with the idea of a uh, eccentric billionaire planning on uh, locating a whole bunch of uh, humans to Mars, but knowing that it's too small to hold an atmosphere, wanted to land a bunch of retro rockets onto the dwarf planet Ceres to slow it down in its orbit 
and gently crash it into Mars to give it the extra mass it needs to hold on and also reignite some of the heat within. Tell me, is this even possible? Can you slow a dwarf planet down if you had enough rockets pointing in the opposite direction of its travel? Uh, and what would the consequences be for the rest of the solar system having such a large collision at this point in time? Would there be space junk flying around there that would come to a impact Earth? Yeah, just thought I'd get that one out there and let you guys uh, <laughs> tell us all what you think. Yeah, we'd, we'd love to toy with that one. Uh, thanks, Ash. Uh, I think we did learn that we can manoeuvre objects through the DART mission test last year, and that was a minuscule movement, but... Uh, by crashing a, a spacecraft into uh, the moon of an asteroid, uh, to move a whole dwarf planet, that would be a big ask. And I imagine that if you're trying to move the thing, you'd also have to take into account that gravity would be a factor in getting around um, through the solar system on your journey back to Mars, which is not a short trip. Uh, it's not. Yeah, I, 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 I do see a few problems with yes. this. Yes, <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, Ceres uh, is nearly a thousand kilometers in diameter. Mm -hmm. um, it is, as, exactly as Andrew said, it's a dwarf planet. And um, uh, I don't know what its mass is, but uh, I think you'd struggle <laughs> to, to move it uh, pretty well. In, in 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 any amount uh, with any kind of uh, rocket motor that we can think of, and it would be tricky because uh, Ceres is rotating. Uh, so how are you gonna how are you gonna move it with rockets? Because the rocket, so if you plump one on the surface and set it off, so it's like a firework going vertically upwards. That's trailing out. It's, it's, it's actually changing direction all the time because the, the, the dwarf planet's rotating. I can't remember what series rotation period is. Uh, but but the, the, um, yeah, the, the, the mechanisms that you, even if you could get all those rockets together, every rocket ever made in the universe, that might just about do it. But um, uh, certainly not anything that we could cobble together on our own planet. Mm. So I think moving series is a non-starter. Um, if you could, and you did have a collision like that, it would take, you know, maybe 100 million years for the debris to settle well enough that you could actually uh, make the planet big enough to colonise, by which time that eccentric billionaire might not be around anymore. Oh, no, if he's an eccentric billionaire, he will have found a way to stay around yeah. that long. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, series yeah, rotation is nine hours. And its mass is 9.1 times 10 to the 20th kilograms. Yeah. So, yeah, which is about 2.2 grams per cubic centimetre. Yes, it's quite low density in mm. that regard, but still not low enough to make it possible to shove it around with rockets. Yeah. I like the, I like the science fiction thought behind it because you can, I do. I do you can do anything with science fiction uh, because they did make a Korean movie not so long ago about the Earth sort of reaching a point where it couldn't stay where it is because of the sun. Uh, so they um, they strapped a bunch of rockets to it and um, moved us out to Saturn or Jupiter or something. <laughs> they did. <laughs> oh, well, if, if they did it, then you, if they did it with the Earth, you can do it with the yeah. series. That's All these mega rockets that were dragging us through space. It was bizarre. It was a bizarre film. I'm, I'm it was one of those films, Fred, that was so horrible I couldn't stop watching. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I just had to know what it, what happened in the end. Where where is this going? That yes, yes. Yeah. It's it's this is the trouble why I could never be a science fiction writer. <laughs> I, I'm totally constrained by the laws of physics, and that is not what you want. And yet, and yet, you gave me the idea for the twist at the end of the Tyrannian Enigma. Okay, there you go. Yes. There you go. I'll give people a hint. We've already talked about it today. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, thank you, Ash. Um, a no-go, I'm afraid. Uh, finally, uh, we will hear from... Uh, oh, we've got a duo. I, I'll let them introduce themselves. Good day, Professor Watson and Mr. Dunkley. This is Neil. And Aurora. Calling from Calgary. Alberta, Canada. And we have a question about 
your favorite places in the solar system and the universe. If you could take a trip anywhere in the solar system at any point in time, where would you go and when? And also, if you could take a trip anywhere in the universe at any time, where would you go and when? And of course, to both questions, why? Thank you so much. We absolutely love the show. Long-time listeners, first-time callers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Aurora. So lovely to hear from you. And uh, I was only in Calgary a month ago, and um, I didn't see you. So that's... How do you know you didn't see them? Well, that's a good point. Yeah. (laughs) But I loved Calgary. Uh, We didn't get to spend a lot of time there, but uh, saw um, saw the Olympic facilities from the the Winter Olympics that were hosted in Calgary, and they've got this uh, beautiful ice rink in the center of the city there, which had no ice on it while we were there, but you could see how it all worked. They even still have the uh, Olympic cauldron at that facility. Uh, So, uh, yeah, nice to hear from you both. Thanks for uh, sending a question in. Uh, Where would we go and why and when? Well, it's a no-brainer for me. Fred, you know the answer to the question. Yes, I do. Mars. That would be my first stop. I would go to Mars. I just, I am intrigued by that planet in so many ways. I just, I would just love to stand on it and have a look around and play around a golf. Um, I would also add that I I would be really keen to visit an ice moon like Enceladus uh, because of the, the growing interest in the potential for life. Uh, But if I could move beyond our solar system, um, I, I would visit uh, our nearest neighbour, Alpha Centauri, and just see what's going on out there. That would be, that would be my choices. Um, yeah, that's a great one. And, and when? ASAP. <laughs> well, there you go. Actually, um, you've you pretty well your um, your desi- desirable visiting places tallies very well with mine. Because oh. um, what I was going to say was. Uh, because because uh, Neil and Aurora said we can make it whenever we like, as well as as well as wherever we like, mm. and so I would like to wind the clock back, maybe three point eight billion years, and then go to Mars, because ah, when it was Mars, then may have been alive. That's right. It, it was certainly warm and wet, uh, with the oceans that we were just talking about um, earlier on. Um, it's uh, it, it would be extraordinary to see what Mars was like and whether it did have vegetation, whether it had anything that is uh, like like the Earth. Um, if it was t- uh, the present time that we could take this trip, well, uh, I would go with you to Enceladus. That was what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, stand uh, near Enceladus's South Pole, uh, watch the ice geysers uh, squirting particles of ice into the atmosphere take a shovel with us so we could start digging and find out what's in the ocean underneath uh, the icm speech if you yeah it's only 20 kilometers thick that's all right um if if you were feeling um a bit miffed about the fact that you had to have company my company with you on enceladus not at all i might i might settle for europa uh, and Europa being nearer, I'd get there first. And we do the same thing because there are ice geysers yeah. on Europa as well, which have been observed recently by um, some of the uh, big telescopes. Uh, for outside the solar system, uh, for me, I, I think your, your suggestion of Alpha Centauri, uh, actually Proxima Centauri B is a Earth-like planet uh, in orbit around the one of the components oh. of the Alpha Centauri system. So that would be where you'd want to go, probably. Yeah. Um, I, I'd perhaps have a slightly um, more wishy-washy vantage point in mind uh, because I'd like to go somewhere uh, uh, sort of uh, above the pole of, not the pole of the Earth or the pole of the Sun, but the pole of our galaxy. Mm. I'd like to squirt myself off maybe 100,000 light years uh, upwards out of our galaxy and then look back at it and see for real the spiral structure that we think our galaxy has and see just what it would look like uh, in the way that we see the Andromeda galaxy in our skies 
uh, here on Earth, uh, wouldn't it be marvelous to see our own galaxy as an entity with its beautiful swirling spiral arms uh, and, um, you know, the, the, the little pink blobs of hydrogen which are where stars are being formed. I think that will be quite a treat. You'd probably be disappointed to see that it's just a smiley face instead. <laughs> mm. uh, well, I, I didn't pick up on the when angle that uh, Neil and Aurora were going on about, but uh, I, if it was me, I, I would like to transport back to the moment when Earth was seeded with life. I'd like to witness that. That would be yeah. my moment. I think, yeah, that, that, so that's, uh, and again, the, the, I'd like to see how it all started. And if it was a, a space dog taking a dump, I'd be very disappointed. <laughs> right. Okay. From the swirling, from the beautiful swirling spiral arms of the galaxy to dumping space dogs. There, yes, you, go. there you go. We cover everything on space. Dogs. Well, they asked. <laughs> they did too. Mm. And it's lovely to hear from you, uh, Neil and Aurora. Thank you very much for the question. Indeed, yes. And thanks to everyone contributing. We've got a whole bunch of questions uh, in the can now, so we'll work our way through those. But please don't stop because we, we love your questions. So send them in to us via our website. Very easy to do, the AMA tab or the send us your um, question on the right-hand side of the front page, spacenutspodcast.com or spacenuts.io. And uh, if you are a LinkedIn user, don't forget to follow bytes.com on LinkedIn. The more people we can get there, the sooner we can uh, start doing our live stream during the recording session to LinkedIn as well as uh, where we already contribute through YouTube and Facebook and I don't know what else, a couple of others. Twitter? I don't know if we do Twitter. But anyway, uh, we want to do LinkedIn. We need 150 followers to be able to do our live stream there. Uh, and hello to our live stream watchers at the moment. Fred, that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much. Great, Andrew. Always good. And uh, we'll see you next week. Hope so. Take care. Catch you soon. Uh, and thanks to Hugh in the studio for um, changing internet service providers, which he did this week. N not for any other reason than to help himself, but at least it was done. He's been talking about it for years. And from me, Andrew Dunkley, thanks for your company. Looking forward to getting together again on the very next episode of Space Nuts. Bye-bye. Space Nuts. You'll be listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Available at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favourite podcast player. You can also stream on demand at Bytes.com. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. <laughs>